0: Oh were you six foot already? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: I'm I'm like six foot six. I'm uh, I see. a pretty tall guy. Oh yeah. I was always my
0: husband's six too, but he was
1: Oh he's he a was, he's a shorty. Uh, he's <laughs> a shorty, yeah. Welcome to
0: Grade of Insanity.
1: Hey, my name is Servant. I am a rap artist, producer, and other things from Alberta, Canada. And today I had the immense honor of speaking with Tammy Peterson. Tammy Peterson is an artist based in Ontario, Canada, well known as the beloved wife of Jordan B. Peterson, a man who is perhaps the Western world's most influential intellectual of our time. Tammy's perspective on creativity, sanity, and spirituality is truly insightful and worthy of note. We ruminate on the difference between wanting and needing to make art, on raising children and balancing life around your passion, the role of humility, gratitude and beauty and what her recent brush with death has taught her. If you're new to my podcast, you're not alone. Creative Insanity is a discussion-based show where I speak with hyper-creatives from all different disciplines from all around the world. My guests and I examine their approach to creativity, what keeps them sane, and we sometimes workshop art that premieres exclusively here, such as short stories, paintings, and freestyles. The whole point of this show is to be fuel for creative people. If you're one of them and you enjoy this sort of thing, please consider subscribing, leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts, maybe an encouraging comment on YouTube, or even a suggestion for future guests you'd like me to have on. Now back to Tammy. I couldn't have had a better guest to commemorate the 20th episode of my show. Thank you to her. Now let's slap into it. So, Tammy Peterson, welcome to Creative Insanity.
0: Why, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Thanks very much for the invitation.
1: Yes, I, I'm grateful. I'm really excited to get into not just your story, but some of your philosophies around creativity and how and the role you see it as in your life, and whether it has anything to do with your sanity. So <laughs> I think because it doesn't always go hand in hand, right? <laughs> Sometimes it's the opposite. I wanted to start with: When did you know that you were creative? Mm. When? When and how?
0: Well, I was quite young. Uh, I can remember making a an audio. Visual presentation in grade six, based on Dumbo, the elephant.
1: Dumbo, hey. And
0: and and class, I put it to classical music. So that was something, and I was really interested. A girlfriend of mine and me used to um, record singing on our cassettes all the time when we were young. And I had a paper route, and we sang. Continually, I would sing a bit of a song and then as soon as I was done, she had to sing a song within about 10 seconds or I would win. And we would, <laughs> it was, it was, you know, so we were always doing something that was creative. Um, and my little town that I grew up in, there wasn't much art, but my grandmother was an artist. So I got a little bit of instruction from her. Uh, I had an aunt on my father's side who was an artist. I didn't get any instruction, but I knew it was there. So when I went off to university, really, as soon as I left home, I was in. I was going to get involved in art, and uh, I went to my first year at McGill, and I studied drama, English, French, philosophy, logic. You know, I studied just basic art, uh, fine or not fine arts. But I, I was thinking of going into fine arts, and then I went back to Alberta for a year, only a year because I didn't want to live there. I understand. I'd been there <laughs> I had been there, so I didn't want to stay and once I'd seen how big the trees were in Eastern Canada, I thought i was I wanted mm. to go back that way um anyway i uh made some money working as a model for artists at the art school at u of a
1: oh right and on. that
0: and that's where I started looking at people who were trying to be artists they were drawing, and I was modeling but watching what they were doing and i was very interested in it but i i didn't feel ready um that same year this old um eastern european guy came to our house to sharpen our knives and sat in the living room and i brought out a little piece of paper and and some um i don't know what it was i can't remember it might have been watercolor i can't remember but i drew him and i and i colored it in and it felt like uh I was stealing his, you know, I was stealing oh, him a little bit because here he was modeling and he had to sit there and sharpen my knife so he couldn't really move. So I had him, so I, I drew him. And uh, then after that year, I moved to Ottawa and I still worked as an artist's model. I worked as a model throughout my degree, my four-year degree at university and made good money. And at the end of that, when I moved to Montreal to be with my husband, I modeled at McGill education department for an art teacher and I showed him my portfolio and he let me into his art classes. And so then I started studying in his art classes and then I applied to Concordia and I went and I got in, but I was pregnant that year and we ended up moving to Boston the next year when George went to Harvard. So I didn't go to art school then, so then we were in my, uh, we were in Boston for a few years. I drew portraits. I brought one. Oh, oh
1: brought- that's a great idea. I was going I have to have some ask.
0: pictures. I just have photographs that I took from an art show. So I, I did a picture. This is wow. a portrait I did, and it's very similar to three other portraits I did of Harvard professors.
1: Right, you just hanging out with them, and
0: well, George said, "Tam, my, my wife will draw them." <laughs>
1: okay. So- <laughs>
0: That was very good of them to say so I, I drew them met some of them some of them were deceased I didn't I didn't meet them all but I would read their books and and look at lots of pictures and uh, so there I drew some portraits and I drew my kids you know I, I painted my kids a little bit and then when we were moving back to Toronto I didn't really want to come back to Canada but you know it was a good idea for our children to be in the same country as their grandparents. So we came back and I went to OCAD in Toronto. Um, I studied a four year degree, but I only ended up going for two or three years life got in the way and I didn't finish my degree, but I, I really enjoyed it. I, I did a lot of, uh, graphic design. I did some uh, material art. So I did pottery and jewelry, And um, I was starting to do photography and put it on um, fabric. And so I was doing a lot of different stuff when I quit and built the house. I became the contractor and built a house. We'd bought a house. Yeah, that's creative
1: in a whole other way, right?
0: That's a creative in a whole other way, right. So I carried a cell phone and wore a wool hat and one of those (laughs) red and black checkered uh, wool shirts for six months and worked as a contractor with a cell phone by my ear when i woke up in the morning and uh, yeah it was intense it was intense
1: yeah but but probably a good money saver too you know like if you're the one hustling and getting her well we
0: had no money extra money so we had to you know i i we hired i think some postal workers who wanted to build after work and we we hired all kinds of nefarious guys to (laughs) build our house and they put it together you know over the years we found out that there was we had to do it again because things weren't done oh you know, as well as they had to be done. But we did get it done in six months and moved in. When I was at Harvard, uh, one of the um, friends of Harvard, these would be women or, or spouses of people who are working at Harvard, they called me and said they were having an art exhibit. Wanted to know if I wanted to be involved. And then they said, are you an artist? And I looked around in my bedroom huh. and I said, yes, I am. I'm an artist. So that was the first time I admitted to anybody else I was an artist.
1: Okay. And how old were you at that point?
0: 32. Wow. I know.
1: That's interesting. (laughs) That's really interesting because whether you identify as an artist is kind of a, it's a light bulb moment for most artists, you know, like when that, and I think we've all had that, those of us who are, you know, we've done something with our creativity and someone has asked us, what do you do? I've had that moment too like I do rap music and mm-hmm. so I guess I'm a rap artist and when you can finally let that sink in do you think that it's good to associate and have that as part of your identity like that you are an artist or is it like art is outside of you and you get to play with it I don't I don't know if I phrase that question well
0: I think that art is inside of me You know I think that I have to there's an impulse there's some sort of artistic impulse that I have to um, humble myself to, hmm. and I've had a hard time with that. Actually, I did. A, I carried a sketchbook all the time until I was probably until I had till when till we moved to Boston. I didn't really so once I had children, I was carrying children instead hmm. of a sketchbook mostly. Um, and it wasn't that I'd stopped drawing because I did draw them and I did paint them and painted a couple of portraits of my family and things. So it wasn't that I dropped it completely, but eventually life got complicated and I wasn't, I wasn't, it, my I wasn't my own advocate enough to keep it up. Interesting. If you know what that I, I mean. think
1: that's understandable. I, I do know what you mean because the demands of life's and and you my understanding is, you know, you had a sick child as well, right? I did. And yeah, that is a very like that's a black hole of attention and, and so much else, right? Like you are constantly in concern for your child, which I can only imagine. I mean, I I have three kids and they're all girls. Uh-huh. And, but they're six and under. So I'm in this like new phase where like, these are just brand new people and I'm trying to figure them out. They're trying to figure me out. But my heart goes out to that, that period in life where, you know, maybe you didn't have many answers around your child's suffering. And I, and I can imagine that so easily taking from your creativity and many other cups that you had to fill. Can you tell yes, me? It, it, yes, yeah. It
0: did, but I didn't go back to my creative. Like she, She had rheumatoid arthritis, which was quite a shock when, um, you know, I had referred to her as an old woman once when she was like six or seven, she was walking like an old woman, you know? So I, there was something I knew. She had a type of arthritis that's a dry arthritis. So she didn't have inflammation that we could see. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: So it was just her behavior changed, you know, her behavior changed. We couldn't understand why she wouldn't want to go for a walk or she would be really tired she was very tired and she hadn't been as a little kid she was a a little go-getter just like she is now that she's older she's a go-getter she was like that as a little kid and it was i couldn't understand what happened to her and then when um she was diagnosed um it floored me actually it floored me because it was all of her joints except for um her spine like it was everywhere it was in her jaw it was in all her little fingers and her little toes and everything. It was very sad. You know, it was, it, it blew me away. And then I had to, I had to reconfigure. Cause I'd had dreams for her, right? That's a dangerous thing to have dreams for your kids.
1: It is. You know, it's, it's right. A, you have dreams for I your kids you and then
0: they go a different way. Are you going to be disappointed because they are who they are? No, you don't want to be disappointed because they turn out who they are. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, but you also want to dream about them. So it's very tricky not to have expectations of your children that are separate from who they are. You know, you got to find out who they are and I, keep those expectations under a very heavy uh, blanket.
1: Yeah, it's like the nature of love is uh, Bishop Robert Baron, right? He has, he's got a, he's got a great definition that isn't his own, I imagine, but it's willing the good of the other for the other's sake. And I think that, and so when it comes to like, you know, dreaming for your children, it's like, you know, a spouse or anybody like you want, if you want the best of them for them for their own sake, that's a form of love. But love Mm -hmm. is, I think by its very nature, adventurous, tumultuous, scary intense it's something that it's like you're on a precipice that you can fall at any time and you're going to and -hmm. you're going to dream big things for your kids and then you know they might fail to go in that direction but they'll go somewhere else and it's kind of a balance like I thought this was the best maybe it wasn't the best so it's like you're you're struggling with humility and I mean that's what life's about uh it's Mm -hmm. And it's so important, I think, that even though at the time I can imagine, you know, the, the suffering of a parent for some for a child who is suffering, I think in many ways can be more extreme because the child doesn't know any different, right? They're-
0: yes, she didn't know. Well, she thought she had something like a flu and that eventually somebody was going to give her a medication and she would be better. And she actually didn't come to any understanding of how chronic a condition it was until she was 14 years old.
1: Puberty. Man.
0: Yeah. Well, at puberty, often it goes into remission.
1: Really? And it didn't
0: go into remission for her. It did for a little while. She was on on medication and the medication controlled it. But then the damage that had been done before she went on the medication, um, the damage took its toll by the time she was 16 or 17 years old and that's when she had to have a hip and an ankle replacement Mm. and so she was pretty healthy until she was about 15 so Uh, once I got her on medication she could run and play with the other kids and uh, enjoy a pretty good life she had a pretty good life but I was worried about her you know I worried about her I probably didn't worry about her through that very much that's when I went off to but I did go off to massage school, and you know when I stopped going to art school and I built the house, then I thought about now what am I going to do? Now the house is built, and I thought maybe because I had I had gone to university and studied kinesiology and become an, a massage therapist out of university, hmm. so I had that and, but I never had a, I never had a license. I learned to all by myself.
1: Oh, that's cool. Um,
0: yeah, it so was. So you you were, really you
1: were cool. rogue. You were like.
0: I was a rogue. <laughs> yeah. And I had I had lots of interesting experiences being a massage therapist without a license. That was oh, <laughs> that yeah. was great. Well, that was before that was in Montreal. There there was no school up there in the 80s. And there really weren't the licensing boards weren't, they were just getting going.
1: Right. Okay, interesting. So
0: right. So I was before the whole licensing thing came about. Then when I came back to Toronto, I went to OCAD. Then I went to Sutherland Chan Massage School, and oh. I thought well, I might as well get my license.
1: Yeah, but at that, so I went and
0: got my license.
1: But at that point, you had some experience and whatnot. I, I had a question. I had lots
0: of experience. Yeah.
1: I had a question about when when you're going through this um, intensity of life. You know, there was a lot of, you know, children suffering. Uh, you know, your your husband's career going to Harvard and and all these interesting things. I think there was lots to keep you busy renovating a house. Did you look at your creativity with like longing glances at the time or was it something that you just saw the sheer size of life and you put creativity in another box, like spending time doing that? You said you did a bit of, you know, portrait work, but was it like, what was that like for you? How did you, did you differentiate the two?
0: I didn't differentiate them well, I wouldn't say. I, I missed the art. Hmm. I miss the art, but, and I used to now and then I, for a while, I went to life drawing uh, sessions where people would hire a model and we'd draw. And I really, really like that. I'll show you. Let's see. What do I have? I really like very quick drawing. So that's a very quick sketch of a woman.
1: Yeah, that's, Uh, that's great.
0: Thank you. Here's another one. Of two women Man. so I loved I loved that I loved to do things quickly I like to get I really like gesture I like to f- I like to feel in the moment what was happening and move my hands to uh portray what I what I saw you know and I liked that a lot so I did I still did some of that so I kept my hand in it but, but just a little bit you know it, it wasn't enough for me really I can remember when I had Michaela, my first baby, we were in Montreal still and my husband was a postdoc and I had, I don't know how long I'd had her. It'd been a month or two, I guess, but I went to an art class and I was drawing a life drawing. I was drawing, standing at my easel and your wife would have told you things like this. I thought, Oh God, I wonder what time it is if I have to feed my daughter and my shirt was just soaked. Right. I was so, (laughs) I (laughs) I was trying to get back into what I was doing, but I was definitely a mother at that point, I was definitely, you know, I was being overwhelmed by motherhood. And then I just became totally overwhelmed with it when my daughter was ill. But something about that time um, was too much for me and I couldn't, uh, I couldn't go anywhere other than to be with my family. I didn't have, I didn't have any other family around, and I didn't have really uh, understandable faith at the time either. So, I did have uh, an understanding of, uh, you know, a, a reasonable understanding of faith, but not like I do now, and. The faith that I've come to in the last year, really since two years since I've been sick, is such that I can do my art now and realize its necessity and its uh, and I can humble myself to it hmm. and 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 do it and uh, and it's wonderful. It's wonderful. I I wish I would have had that kind of understanding when my daughter was ill, because really, she had her destiny, you know, even though she was an ill person, I was doing what I could, we were all doing what we could. She also had her own uh, destiny, and it wasn't mine to um, follow. Mm -hmm. You know, that it might have I have my own destiny. I have my own destiny. And I can take my better care of my kids, if I'm following my own destiny.
1: I think I really like how you describe it as a necessity, the art, and how your your understanding of it sort of changed. And you describe it as humbling yourself to it. And for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, it made me think of the Pope, uh, Pope Francis, I believe, when he came into, I was going to say office, but I don't think it's office. uh, When he one of the things that he did was they had a hotel or they had like a apartment space or something for the, for the Pope. And it was pretty decked out, I guess, you know, it was pretty uh, Mm -hmm. extravagant and something that he did was he wanted it to be less extravagant. He thought that it wasn't right. It wasn't fitting that he should be more of the people. And so I think that he had asked for, uh, you know, smaller apartments and stuff like that. And while on its face, that seems like humility. And I think it is a form of humility. It's a very strong one to realize. There's also humility in understanding, let's say, the the importance and the size of the office that has been given to you. And mm-hmm. so if someone were to wish, a, you know, to give you a blessing or something like that, you have to humble yourself before it. And as a creative person, I love that you think of it as humbling yourself because it's like you've been given something a proclivity a a gift a temperament whatever it is but that you recognize you have to become lower than it to allow it to take over for because otherwise I think the reverse is maybe a perversion of the reality right that you are the master of it that you control it and I think that we get a lot of bad art that way and so Mm -hmm. i think that's very cool you know
0: thank you yeah um i think what i've well i learned that there were there are things that happened in my life and coping skills that i used that uh for for tragedy for a crisis um for coping that blocked me from my art and um in this, in these last couple of years, because I have a very visual, uh, mind, right? What? That's
1: okay. I can edit this. It's great.
0: Yeah, it's good. Let's see if it comes back on again. Oh, yeah, there it mean, is. That's it's funny. Good. You
1: said you have a visual mind and everything went black. <laughs> <laughs> I Isn't that
0: funny? Might <laughs> have to keep that.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I have a visual mind, but I've been doing this work to reflect on my thoughts and see where they lead me, and also if they are good thoughts or not. And you know, to um, try to update who I am from who I was, hmm. to make all my to make my um, purpose more mature. And so, some of my thinking I hadn't brought up to the present. So I had old habits. I had some old thinking habits that were getting in my way.
1: Do you have a specific example of like- Yes, I do. I do.
0: So when I would, uh, so I set myself, up while I was ill, because I was ill, right? A couple of years ago, I built, I rebuilt my house. (laughs) Again. (laughs) I did. Again, (laughs) this time I built it like the way I wanted it. You're trying to make it
1: beautiful, right?
0: I made it beautiful. That's lovely. And I made it, and I made it this type of- Place that people could come to, and more more people could come to and be comfortable in this place mm-hmm. because there were there were little rooms before and it was kind of windy and small and now it's open so it, it's a place where people can come and really um, communicate and um, enjoy themselves I think so but I also in the basement I put an art table down there and I broke out through a wall so that I have a big window and a door that has a window in it and the stairs that are going to the upstairs they don't stairs have no backs on them so light comes so there's light coming in from different directions and I can work down there so I have everything there I have my art I've been taking zoom classes on different art classes it's been great it's been lots of fun but I was noticing other than going to the art classes and having a wonderful time, the rest of the week I'd walk by that desk and I'd look at the piece maybe that I was working on and that I could finish it. And a little voice in my head would say, no, No. as I walked by. Yeah. As I walked by and I thought, Hmm. So I was talking with my husband and I said, I'm saying no, when I want to sit down and work. I'll walk by. I won't sit down. I won't even let myself sit down to work, Not let alone pick up, you know, the the pencils and stuff I need to do. And he said, well, that's very interesting. Where do you think that comes from? And I said, well, art wasn't valued in my home. My mom and dad were fairly poor. My mom was especially poor when she grew up. And they neither of them had a university education. They went into business and they made all of their money through um business and mm-hmm. through you know hard work it right. was it was duty it was duty that that's where they made their money you know that's, it was that's in like the, the cold half
1: of love duty you know
0: yes that's huh. right it was duty and so there was a lot of duty in our house and things did get done but it wasn't there wasn't any warm fuzzy feeling much of the time and we were expected to go to university and to do something practical. You know, my sister's a nurse. My other sister's a pharmacist. My brother, he studied history and playwriting, so he was an outcast for a while, uh, <laughs> although he went into business eventually. Um, and I I studied yoga from the time I was 13, and I did art. I was an athlete, but I didn't. Uh, and I thought, I thought, you know, let's see, do I see myself in a business suit working in a... In an office? No, nope. I don't see myself carrying a briefcase. No, nope. I just don't see that in me. Like that's not who I am. And uh, I had a dream about my grandmother. My grandmother was a stay-at-home mom mostly. I would say, although she played piano till she was ninety-three, um, that's and great. so she but she but she did this. It was what she loved to do, right? So um, she really stayed home. And I had a dream that I was wearing her shoes, and they were too small. And I thought, you know, I I won't be able to stay home with my kids completely. I'll have to to also Mm -hmm. take care of my creative needs. And so when my kids were really little, I worked as a massage therapist. I had my table in my apartment and had people come to my house. But I also had this art that I did, and I knew I had to do it. So all the time my daughter was ill, I knew I had to do this art. It was a very big part of me and had been there all along. And other than that, I couldn't find any good meaning in life if I stayed away from it. That was where all the meaning was in my life. So, you know, even when I when I traveled with my husband and it was his book tour and I was working with him to make every day go perfectly. And it did. You know, I was good at what I did, but. The whole time I was thinking to myself, what am I doing here? Sometimes I'd sit in the crowd and I'd draw some of the people in the crowd or I would draw the people on the stage, but it's moving so fast and the lighting is so awful that it's very difficult to do any of that.
1: Yeah, But I I, I tried. Your husband paces too much. He paces too much, yeah.
0: I have a a lot of very quick sketches of him. Oh, yeah. You can imagine. (laughs) Dave Rubin, he sat still some. I got some better pictures of Dave Rubin. But it was still, so there was a little bit of art there, but I was still questioning what am I doing here and why am I doing this? And uh, it isn't really, it's still not what brings me.
1: Yeah, it's like a-
0: At the end of the tour, I started going to museums. I could have done that all along and that would have been (laughs) a very good idea.
1: Yeah, you started to feed the creative side a of bit myself.
0: More. Yes, I needed to do that. And I, I really am pretty hungry in terms of creativity. I'm pretty hungry for that. It, I crave it and, um, and I want it in my life. But because of this uh, duty that I grew up with, this overpowering duty, I would it, sometimes I would push it down inside mm. me and I wouldn't let it get out. And so I asked my, my, well, my husband and I decided, he said that he would ask me if I was doing anything important that day. And that was a cue for me to go down and draw.
1: (laughs) And then at the end
0: of the day, he'd ask me if I did anything. And, and, And we've done that and I have been doing more. So it's been helpful to talk about that, to talk about what I was finding. There was a block somewhere and I talked to him about it. We made a little plan and it seems to be working. So it's really good to, reflect on your habits and how they might be blocking you and to address them except yeah. that they're there and maybe they had their purpose but now you don't need them anymore
1: i think there's a few things about that that i think about one is that a that's a very low pressure reminder kind of communication yeah. system you've built in which I mean <clears throat> my wife so there's actually a lot of parallels with your guys's lives and, and my own because my wife she did kinesiology for her first degree and then mm-hmm. she went on to physio uh, actually she went on like sports psych stuff and then physio and, and I studied psychology for a couple years but mm-hmm. I, as a that overpowering drive to be an artist I just couldn't handle it. I switched to an English major and dropped out because it was an expensive book club and just wanted to write. Uh, but my wife also, uh, draws and she has, uh, pastels and stuff like that. And she has long struggled to make it a priority or do it, even though it seems to call to her. Uh And if, and me, I have this, you know, high ability to just do whatever I want I'm able to always fill time blocks up with things that I want to do. I work on my music, music videos, my podcasts, You know, there, there's so many things that I could be doing. I could call a friend. If I get a chunk of time, I just fill it. I know what to do. But because my wife has been so busy being a mom, you know, and mm-hmm. like everything that goes with that, and she does have a very invigorating but challenging career, she, I can see in her wanting to kind of fill this hole and, and do more creative stuff. But I don't have, I come off as a bit of an asshole, maybe sometimes if I'm not careful about how to inspire her to do it. Because if I say like, Oh, you know, like, what are your plans tonight? You want to do some drawing or something like that? It's the wrong approach. It's too heavy handed. And it's like, no, you know, bugger off. Like, I, I don't want to do that. Because then the rebel side comes in. But that's what I love about your guys, this little system that seems to be doing some good work for you is that He's like, do you have anything important to do today? <laughs> and, and and you can fill that answer. Cause you know, you might have groceries. I don't know. You might need some steak or something, but you also might not. And then what is important to you? And you've said, you know, it's important. Like it's called to you this whole yeah. time and that's making art and engaging with art, going to museums. Uh, so number one, that's, that's an observation there that um, through the the marital battle of communication to find something that works, like mm-hmm. just kudos, well done. And <laughs> se- secondly, art is like meaningful for you. Why is it, why does that call you and not other people? I wanted to know your thoughts on this because like, you know, Jordan has a lot of rigorous videos and lectures on the topic of creativity and stuff. And I think that, It's statistically evident that, you know, by most measures and standards, not everybody is creative. In fact, very few people are very hyper-creative and have that call. I wonder at times why that is. Why are there so few people who's, you know, like I've got a family, I've got all these wonderful things in my life, but I do feel an emptiness if I am not pursuing my art, which it seems like you've got that too and and there are other people so so few but like what's the existential behind that do you have any thoughts about that why do you think so few people have that calling or is it just that we listen differently than others like i i don't know i, I want to know what you think
0: hmm. that's a good question um i know that i don't know you know I have my siblings right I have 3 siblings None of them draw you know they all have my brother he's he's a writer so he's creative and I wouldn't say my sister isn't creative because she's she gardens she you know paints her houses in particularly lovely colors and so there's something there that's that, but for people who really they want to discover what they can do to connect to um, something mysterious. It's yeah. right connect, wanting to connect to something mysterious. That's what it. That's what it seems to me.
1: It's like a need too, and that's that's the thing is some people just seem like you know yeah they're great with colors they have this they, they they like they're creative like they do interesting creative things but it's it's as if that they can live without it too that they can go for a period of time and and find the fulfillment in family and career and you know carrying the heaviest load they can you know they they can they can have all that but. You know, I think people like us, it's it's not a question of want, it's a question of need.
0: it's not a question of want. Yeah. No way. No way. I've done other things. I was a massage therapist. I, I like to I, I liked traveling with my husband and being his assistant. You know, it was good, but oh, I don't know. There's just there's something more to me that needs expression. And there's and I have to, if I want to live a life without resentment and um, dishonesty, and all the other things that go along with that—envy and jealousy and pride and vanity and all the other things that go along—once you go down that,
1: yeah, you
0: know, because it's all there once you once you go there. Uh, I don't want to do that. I want to be truthful to who I am, and some and. When you're truthful to who you are, it isn't always what you want. It's who you are. That's who you are. That you don't have any choice in it. That's who you are. And to be accepting of that, to be accepting of that, is the first step towards um, being able to express it in an honest way.
1: Yeah, and being humble, humble enough to accept it, and and not, I, I identify so much with that because. You know, having a creative life and especially if it's, I do want to ask you about this later, but especially if it's the case, like if you want to make a living doing it or something, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, it seems like it's a whole other animal. And and that's the, that's where I'm at, where I, I love it so much. I just want to do it all the time, basically. And the only way that I can do that is if I make the money for the wife, you know, like I've got it. I've got to make money. So I have to monetize what I do creatively. Yeah. Whole other challenge. But then it becomes. The, give me a second. I'll, I'll totally edit out, but I, I really feel like I need to think for a moment. I, I wished at times that I wasn't creative. Because mm-hmm. I could see in others a kind of satiation with their existence, a lack of this deep longing that they were satisfied with what they're doing. You know, like I'm, I'm in Alberta, you're from Alberta. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of guys here, for instance, like they go to work, come home, you know, they spend a bit of family time. They like go out quadding, they go fishing and their life's full. They're, they're just good happy, crack a beer with the guys, play some darts, it's good. They don't have necessarily this deep longing for something else. And, and there was times that I, I resented that, that it seems like I couldn't have peace. I couldn't have peace unless I had connected to this mysterious thing. And I guess that's why I was really interested to hear your answer about why you think so few people are like that and it made me think of the, when you described drawing, you said it was like trying to get it as fast as you can, like catching inspiration as if it was an instinct, like you had to. And that made me think of it being something like music. You know, when a toddler hears music, they just start wobbling their body in time to it and they can't help it. And most people are like that unless they've suffocated that instinct. Mm -hmm. And, and we have something that's a lot like that. We, we hear this level that we have to respond to. We hear this music and what, what glory and what tragedy, you know, what great horrible thing this is. Um. <laughs>
0: that's, a, that's a good way to say it. I always thought that, you know, it's really helpful if you can be associated with someone who has a more conservative Um, take on life, at least in your business life, because there's got to be someone who's creative to think up things, Mm -hmm. but there has to be somebody to follow through with them and to monetize them. Like you said, and it's hard to be both those things. It is. Yeah. There aren't many people who are both those things. And, but there are some, I knew a, I knew a guy who was, he was a visual artist and he was he'd worked in a number of different creative endeavors and he lived that life and he made money. I, you know, he wasn't a wealthy person, but he lived a good life. Um, he didn't have three kids and a wife though, and he didn't keep his wife. Mm. So, you know, I wouldn't say it was completely successful because he ended up alone, but he did not starve. Uh, but there, there aren't many artists like that. Right there's some really yeah. famous artists who make it but there there aren't very many people like that and there's a lot of of artists who don't make it there's a lot of kids who go to art school and put it in their back pocket after that
1: Yeah and like how important was did you have you know you had dreams for your children did you have dreams for yourself in terms of like success of art did you want at the time when you were younger I want to you know be an artist doing all the artsy things and like what was your vision like and how tied to success let's say how Mm -hmm. whatever you think success is how tied to your vision for yourself was that or was it more about being you know doing these things as opposed to It
0: it was definitely more about doing them and being that and producing what i felt i i wanted to without I went to art school. I studied graphic design for a while. Um, I studied advertising for a while, in, in school. Um, but I had a very good friend. She was a packaging designer, hmm. and uh, she said, uh, "You're not a designer. You're an artist."
1: <laughs> what a what a distinction!
0: And she was <laughs> she was right. She was right. I you know it, it's true. I'm not somebody who's um, working to Figure out a, a package for a product. I mean, I could, but that isn't that isn't what mm-hmm. calls me. That's not what calls me.
1: Do you feel as if there is? Do you think that there is a moral imperative for artists yeah. to share their art?
0: Yeah, it probably isn't art until you've shared it.
1: Oh, that's an interesting answer. Elaborate. Tell tell me more. What are you thinking?
0: Well. You know, you you do something, you make something. It's still, unless you communicate it, you can't tell if it's successful or not. I mean, you know, you, I guess you can get your own um, enjoyment from it, but art is, you know, art is a, it's a pre-verbal communication art, right? It's pre, it's not, I mean, it, it can't, in music, if you have, words in your songs then then it's coming towards a verbal communication but Mm -hmm. it's still fragmented right it's not absolutely prose and so your what you what you make in art is something is, is a way to see something or a way to understand something or a way to hear something in a new way and It's kind of like a dream, right? If you have a dream and you understand the dream, it can help you, you know, 10 years down the road. It can help help bring what you wouldn't have known for 10 years to the present. So it can jumpstart you into understanding something in a new way without having to read volumes about it. Mm -hmm. And art is like that, right? Art is like that. It's a new way to see something or hear something or experience something without having to study it yourself, without having to understand it yourself, that it's, it's a way to give people access to a new way. Or it's, an, it's, a, it's a way of giving people a chance to experience beauty in a way that they hadn't thought of seeing it before. Yes. Or or torment. Mm-hmm. I have this picture. It's a copy from a woman who uh, was, she was a doctor's wife. Okay. And she drew, and she was quite depressed. But she drew, this is my drawing, it's a copy of hers. And these are mothers with their infants. Wow. And it's really haunting. Haunting. It's very haunting. She was very, all of her, all of her stuff was very haunting. I think I have another one here and um now why did I tell you that
1: about um, about tragedy or about, yeah
0: right right
1: it's yeah you know I think you're getting something I had a great conversation uh recently on a podcast with an artist named Nicole Wolfe and she's from Alberta and mm-hmm. she's been freelancing for seven years and uh and she's lovely um she we were talking a little bit about truth in art you know it's like you're saying this is a, it's like a different way to communicate and see something mm-hmm. and and that's why I think you know not a not enough people give credit to art for being what it is in part it's like a truth seeker you know like you can truth beauty and goodness you know the, the holy trinity of things like they're they're connected and you can have one as the access to the other You know, if you understand, let's say, you know, something to be true, then with those eyes, maybe you can see it's beauty. It's like mathematics, right? Like if there's beauty in mathematics. Mm -hmm, And then mm -hmm. sometimes you can see something beautiful uh, and you can know it to be true. And the example I love is at a wedding where the father is there to dance with the bride. And... If they were just hugging and kind of like walking in a circle and there was no music, it would probably feel weird and nobody would know what's going on. But because there's music, the words somehow access a reality. The the music helps the viewers see what is actually happening and what is actually real is beautiful. It's a beautiful thing that's happening there. And then, you know, the tears come and... Yeah, And you engage with that reality. So art is like communication. So it's interesting to say that, that art isn't necessarily even art unless it is communicating, you know? Right,
0: yeah, yeah, I think so. Here's another one. I don't know if you can see this one.
1: Oh, wow, I love that.
0: That's an old one. That's from a very long time ago.
1: Was that a a mock? was that a, like
0: a monster, eh? it
1: does. I thought of like Frankenstein, yeah,
0: yeah. So it was just a model, and I just put you know color, but it was it's pretty monstrous.
1: When the model see, did the model see that and then go, Oh, <laughs> I didn't know you saw that? Uh, you know, <laughs> uh, why, why portraits? Why, why, why such an portraits? interesting, yeah? Good
0: question. Why portraits? I don't know. That's just. That's just who I am. I like people, you know, my, my relatives all did landscapes, but not me.
1: I love this, man. This is so nice to get to see your artwork.
0: Right. It's not, that's not who I am. I, I don't, I mean, I'm going to take a landscape painting course, but I'm taking it from a professor who's really experimental. So I think that'll help me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm taking a, a portrait painting course too online soon as well from someone who's got, she's not, she's older, she's not experimental, but she's got good practices. But this, this young guy, he's, uh, uh, he wants to give us as much as he can with every class. So it's very packed huh. with information that's exhausting. And so I'm going to take a class from him and who knows what I'll do after that, because it'll be, all be landscape stuff. So who knows what I'll. Find,
1: yeah. What what's what's going to call, what's going to call you? It's like yeah, it's like when people, right. you know, I'm from Alberta. I keep saying that, but I got into rap music. Uh huh. This is unlikely. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alberta is full of country artists, and a lot of people have suggested, you know, why don't you switch genres? Like, why don't you do something that's like more widely acceptable for other people or something? And my answer is just like I don't know. I can't help it. Like I'm just. <laughs> I'm drawn, I'm drawn to hyper intense lyricism that is clear, poetic, interesting, and, you know, sometimes aggressive, sometimes beautiful. And I'm just, I'm a drawn to the style of rap, whatever it is that I do, and I can't help that. So, and that's where that person said, you're an artist, not a designer. You can't change what you're drawing like you can't change the call you've got to just respond to it
0: yes that's right and learn from it and then you know you'll uh, things will change as you go so who knows where you'll go but right now that's who you are and so that's what you do
1: yeah okay I I want to change tactic, but there was something else I really wanted to talk to you about and that was Mm -hmm. your spirituality and Mm -hmm. that you know something we I like to talk to artists about on my show is you know not only creativity and their habits around that, but you know what keeps them sane. and from what you know interviews that I've seen of you and I've been paying attention to the Peterson family for some time, I've gathered that spirituality has become a very center part of your life, and that uh, I believe you even do daily prayer. and I'm just curious a bit about that. I mean, I want to know what role does spirituality have in your sanity and your creativity? Just go wherever Mm. that leads you.
0: (laughs) Okay. So um, I start the day as soon as I, as soon as I bring myself, you know, to attention, I, I ask God what his will is for me this day. So I really do try to stay with, my higher power with God through as much of the day as I can. And the more I do that, then when something happens, I'm more able to respond to it in a good way, right? In a beautiful way, in a good way, all of that in a truthful way. And so I start my day with, prayer um, when I was ill uh, a woman came to the hospital I was in the hospital for five weeks when they didn't know what to do with me gave me a nice private room it's not a good sign hmm. um, and she came and she asked me if I'd pray the rosary uh, I, I'm not Catholic but I said sure I would pray pray the rosary and so she taught me the rosary and came came to the hospital every day her name's Queenie, Queenie.
1: It's lovely wonderful lovely
0: lady. yeah she came every day about 10 in the morning And we would go down into the atrium where there was light and pray the rosary. And I told her, you know, my story and cried and, you know, it was good. And when I left the hospital, I knew the rosary then. So I, I um, prayed it on my own and I've continued to pray it on my own every day. Uh, Something interesting happened. One of my cousins contacted me after I was well, she didn't know I'd been sick. She felt bad that she didn't know that I was sick. One of her sons saw a video that I did with my daughter uh, after I was well, just thanking everybody for all the prayers that were sent because I had so many prayers sent to me and I really uh, breathed in all those prayers while I was ill Mm -hmm. and used them to uh, give me strength, you know. So I wanted to thank everyone. So uh, he said, he told my cousin Shannon that I was better so she called me she called my sister got my number and called me and I told her it was fine and she said well I have a little gift for you and I was on tour with my husband but one of the times I came home I sifted through all the mail that was accumulating and I found this letter from her and I opened it and it was uh, a picture of her dad and um, my grandmother and her mother Magdalene um she, Kowalski she's Polish
1: Hmm.
0: and uh, also in there was a rosary it was my great-grandmother's rosary because we had been Catholic in Poland but my grandmother changed our religion to United when they were in Alberta and so I pray with that rosary Wow, that's got to be now 160 years old it's an old rosary and it's been in someone's hands continually for all those years. Wow. Yeah, isn't that great?
1: That's very cool. I, I love the rosary and I wish that I prayed it more. See, I'm Catholic as okay. well. I, I grew up I grew up Catholic and then I had a fallen out with the faith. Yes. One, as I think all Catholics do. <laughs> we well, go,
0: everyone questions, <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, we mm-hmm. we all wander the desert at some point. And yeah, I was doing that for an amount of time, and then it was actually philosophy. Primarily, that got me back into the faith. Um, really accessible stuff from a, a guy I think you'd really enjoy, uh, a professor named Dr. Peter Kraft, who mm-hmm. uh, I think taught at Boston College, actually. And he's, he's, a, he art, he's a theologian and philosopher. And So his, his stuff was accessible to me, and it got me back into, okay, I think there's, it's reasonable to believe in a God. And then I just followed the rabbit trail, into how I got back into the Catholic faith, you know, like, is Jesus God? Can I believe that? Mm -hmm. All of that. Um, but the rosary, you know, my grandmother, she passed last year and she was, I'm sorry. Oh, I, she's in a better place now and she was suffering a lot, but thank you. I know that she prayed the rosary a lot, a lot, Mm -hmm. a lot, a lot. And I've got multiple rosaries from her. I've got one on my sword over there. Um, that there's there's something artistic about the rosary. There's something like the nature of the prayer as a kind of meditation. You can, you know, you can meditate on the virtues, you can meditate on um, you can imagine Calvary, like you can think of all these these things that kind of help center you. And and I'm I'm I regret to say that. Like I've I've fallen away out of practice that I hardly ever pray the rosary. And
0: well, I would say if you're if you have access to it to take the it takes about fifteen minutes really to pray the whole thing, so it's not very long
1: no, it's not long
0: no, it's not long and uh I look at it I have it on my phone uh, I look up Rosary mystery hmm. just so and then it comes up and there's a there's a a site that is the Rosary. I can't I'll find it in a minute. I'll send it to you. But I read the mystery. I know the mystery, but I read it anyway.
1: Yeah, it helps and focus. It,
0: and and every, you know, every stanza there is a virtue. And I take that virtue and then I go through the population, my population, the population. I go through and I just pray for everyone every morning
1: it's good that is good it is it's good <laughs> talk about like having an I guess I, I don't have the words I that's just good that's wholesome yeah. you know and, and yes. I think you know I often shy away about the faith stuff and not you know not for fear of encounter with it but but often because of the perception. You know, yeah. I, I talk to all kinds of artists and, you know, people in LA and, and people who have, you know, very little to do with spirituality. And it seems like if you didn't grow up or if you didn't get some exposure to it, a lot of people very easily disregard and just think it's like, you know, like it's some kind of silliness. But I think where... um your husband's work, for instance, was is useful to me. And I think many people is that he kind of makes an argument similar to like Pascal's wager implied in his work, which is something like, well, you know, even if it's not true, it's truer than anything else, you know, and it's worth shooting for the highest ideal, even if you miss because you'll be closer and, and to, start your day with prayer seems like a kind of it's like an archer starting their day by sharpening their arrows or something you know it's like Mm -hmm. they know what they're doing they know that they have a goal that they're preparing for and I feel like that's that is wise of you it's something that I really admire and it's one of the reasons I actually really wanted to talk to you was because you have this prayer life that I have you know failed to meet, I feel like in my own life, though I have felt i guess it's it's like a it's one of those things that I look out and always feel guilty like I should be doing more. It
0: wasn't time yet it just wasn't time yet for you that's all it, it the time you know you do these things at the right time mm. i you know I didn't do it sooner, it wasn't my time yet. So, so now I'm doing it. That's just the way it is. There's no need to uh, second guess yourself because there are no mistakes, right?
1: Yeah, it's there are like, no
0: mistakes in life. They, things come because well, that, that's what's supposed to happen.
1: Everything works can work together for good. I think. Um, how does that? So you you know you start your day with prayer and it leads into.
0: Then I do mindful meditation for about 15 minutes actually exactly 15 minutes i have a group in toronto one of my good friends uh who's catholic who i gave a rosary to to start up her faith again which and she is praying the rosary it's been really good very good for her but she also does this mindful meditation where um i have a zoom link and Hmm. i open it at nine in the morning and somebody comes on with all like messy hair and he (laughs) says uh yeah, he says, uh, good morning. Everybody says, good morning. And then he rings the bell, and then we just sit there. And about a little ways through, he says, okay, bring yourself back to the breath.
1: Mm, guided meditation. You know,
0: where, where, wherever you've been, you know, come back to the breath. And and then a little while later, he'll say, okay, another minute more. Another minute more. Just pay attention to your breath. And then then he rings the bell, and everybody says, yay, have a nice day, and you go. And so you listen to God, that's your meditation is listening to God, right? Prayer is talking to God. Meditation is listening and you have to take both, you have to do both of those things. You Hmm. have to talk, but you got to listen, because God has a plan for you. And he will tell you, if you listen.
1: Yeah. I, I In love,
0: God's time, you don't know when he's going to tell you.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I'm a big believer, too, that like God speaks through your conscience. It's basically like your conscience is the filter, uh, you know, the filter of your experience that God is speaking through. And that's why it's important to inform your conscience. And it's like, you know, it's that little voice that says, you know. I you
0: hope know. it is. You hope it is. That little voice was saying no to me when I was trying to do my art, right? So that little voice can be um, manipulated through um, necessity
1: Mm -hmm.
0: in life. Like things happen and then things aren't as clear anymore. And you might have a voice in your head that's telling you to run when you need to stand tall. And it can tell you to hide when you need to seek love. And so it can tell you things and you got so you got to be conscious of that voice
1: that's a very good point too
0: right you got to be conscious of the voice and then you got to thank the voice for being there and if it's the voice of you when you were 13 and you were scared you can thank that for being there but now you can move aside because you're you're older now and more mature and 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 you will with the help of your higher power you have a more mature way to deal with the world
1: than that Yeah, it's like you got to be able to recognize and like it's like as an other person, you have to be able to validate their existence else Mm -hmm. else they'll harbor resentment. Yeah,
0: right, right.
1: And you don't want to harbor resentment against yourself, you know, like it's. uh, No, the only way
0: to love others is to love yourself and you got to love yourself from all of the time. You know, even the time when you were young and making terrible decisions, you were shoplifting from, from you know, chocolate bars. If you were doing that, I was doing that, yeah, shoplifting chocolate that. bars, you know, you, that's what you were doing. You had a you had a need that you felt you were missing something and you thought chocolate bars would fill that need. Well, you know, <laughs> <laughs> for,
1: for it doesn't me, work, yeah.
0: but for, it worked back then a little bit.
1: It was something. Yeah, it was something. Yeah, <laughs> I I actually it's funny you say that because I I had a history of thievery as a kid in grade mm-hmm. or kindergarten in grade one I started to oh, steal, yeah. uh-huh. and I know I know on reflection why in part that was and it was to see I think where the boundaries were to see what I could mm-hmm. get away with because my my very well intentioned parents and they they have a great sense of humor too but when you're five you might not click into everything they said something like. You know, we can see everything you do when you're at school. And, (laughs) you know, so we we know. And for all I know, my mind's twisted that and they never even said it exactly like it, but that's what I heard. And Mm -hmm. I started to experiment and I wanted to just see, can they really see? You know, I would witness something at school and then I would tell them something slightly off. I saw this kid do that and it wasn't what he did. And they'd say, oh yeah, interesting. And then I'd go, ah, you know, and I go to my, journal or whatever and I'd, I'd be like all right so failed attempt they don't know and then I eventually I think got a thrill from stealing and it was a, it was actually a form of connection I guess I was trying to tap into some mystery of my own existence like how can I do I matter will people notice right, these so things I matter. yeah yeah sure sure um, that's one and then I eventually got caught got an ass whooping and that helped that was the end of that it helped yeah <laughs> It wasn't the end actually, but it helped for, for many years. And, and I've learned, you know, I, I'm very capable of, of great moral evil. And I know that about myself. And so it's about creating an environment that encourages and supports morally upright behavior. And that's partly like why I have, it's like, okay, so you built this room, um, you, you fleshed out the basement. You, you busted a wall in and you got some light there. You got some really expensive lights above. And you just, you've created the environment that is more suiting to creativity. So, you know, the only roadblock you have now is that no in your head, right? When yeah, you walked The first,
0: by. I had a, I had a roadblock before that no. Mm. So when I first was doing the Zoom classes, uh, I would be sitting at my desk in the morning Having uh, in a class, so I sat. I was sitting at the desk having a class, and my husband came down the stairs and he wanted something from me, but I was in class, right?
1: Right. So and, you were like, "Anything you want, honey? What is it?"
0: No, <laughs> I didn't say that. I said, "You don't need that right now. You can go." <laughs>
1: <laughs> hey, like I've, I've heard that kind like of thing before.
0: <laughs> Ooh, you can go. It wasn't good. It was so that night. He said, "So what was up with that?" You know. <laughs>
1: And I said, "Hmm, I don't know
0: exactly what was up with that. Let's, you know, let's unpack that and see what that was. Oh, I said, you know what that was? That was resentment. That was my resentment. I was blaming you in part for me not doing my art when it was really up to me. I made that choice. That was my choice. It had nothing to do with you. But in an old self-pitying habit. Mm -hmm. I blamed you. And so I guess there's still a little of that there. Uh, I'm working through it. I'm sorry, you know, I, that I was wrong. That's not what's happening. And uh, I'll do my best to, you know, go forward in a better way. So that was the first one. It was weeks later that it was this little no was in my head. Mm. No, I was like, huh, there's still something there. So it was complicated. It's yeah. complicated. There were walls that were put up there and I had to investigate them and uh, understand them and accept them uh, in order to dissolve them.
1: Yeah, you had like some habit. You had like this mental habit that you had built, whether consciously or not, you know, that had de- yeah. developed in some response. I I had heard you um, on one of your other podcast interviews you did, you had talked about how doing art with your mother was one Mm -hmm. of one of the ways that you would receive warmth from her. Um, not that she was a totally unwarm or cold individual, but that that was a more surefire way to get it was if you guys were coloring together. And it, it seems like, uh, a bit of a contrast to have, have that at one point where like you look at coloring, you look at painting and drawing and it becomes maybe like the source of warmth, even, you know, beyond the company of your mother. But then you still can have a no develop from that. You can still have opposition mm-hmm. to the good. Um, mm-hmm. but you've been but you've been working through that, no, and yeah, I'm working through it. Do you know where it comes from?
0: Yeah, I think so. Uh, you know lots of lots of families are complicated, lots of kids have parents whose relationships the kids don't see as ideal, and so they change their behavior to try to make things better at home.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then they have habits. They grow up with coping skills that they've developed that around 13, they think, okay, now this is pretty good. This is who I'm going to be. But, and then you go out into the world, right? 12, 13, especially as a girl, that's when you start to really grow up. And you go out into the world and you think that you've, th- that you're grown, right? At 13, you think, okay, I'm ready to face the world. And by 16, you're definitely grown. I mean, my grandmother <laughs> was married at 50 and she had a baby by the time she was 16. So, wow. and that's, that's only, that's only, you know, a couple of generations ago. So um, these, these growing up times are pivotal and, if you don't update that 13-year-old uh, view of the world, then that's how you respond when you're um, pushed. Yeah. In any right, that's how you respond, and so that's who's standing in front of you, taking care of you, is that 13-year-old,
1: until you update. That's horrifying because <laughs> they're not. Necessarily, I
0: imagine that would have come up to your like belt buckle, right? Oh if yeah,
1: that was, <laughs> you, when
0: you were thirteen. I don't no, know how tall No, I was well. probably
1: six foot at thirteen.
0: <laughs> oh, were you six foot already? Yeah. Oh my goodness.
1: I'm I'm like six foot six. I'm ah, a pretty tall guy, and I think when I was sixteen, I was about six foot five, and then I grew another What about inch.
0: thirteen though? Six feet?
1: I wouldn't be surprised. Pretty close to it. 13. Wow,
0: you grew early.
1: Oh yeah, I was always. My
0: husband's six too, but he was.
1: Oh, he's he a was, he's a shorty. Well, he's a shorty, yeah.
0: <laughs> well, he might be six one. He might be even shorter than that. But he um, he didn't really grow until he was seventeen. Interesting, right? So you grew really young.
1: Yeah, I was like sixteen. I remember I was about six foot five, and you can can't really tell through the camera, but I was a very very thin guy. I was very wiry, yeah. and uh-huh. uh, I I think I was like one hundred and sixty pounds or something mm-hmm. like that at six five that's not a lot of weight, but you know, since then I grew another inch. I was six foot six, like after 20 for whatever reason. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, you know, slowly gained a little bit of muscle mass as the testosterone maybe peaked in my twenties. But it's funny you say like, you know, you're like 12, 13, like you're grown in a way like mentally at the time. Yeah. Maybe that's more true for girls than guys. Cause I, I think for me, you know, my adolescence didn't wear off till I was, well, and it's still there, there, it's a, it's a corpse that's still twitching. It's still around. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but I think I was like 24, 25. And that's when I, and heck, I was, I was just married. I had my first child. Mm-hmm. I was finally at a point where I wanted to start taking some charge in my life and, and actually mm, do something meaningful. You know, I had a sense, I had a more sense of direction. That's when I finally got slapped enough times and went, wow, I really do want to be an artist. Hey, wouldn't that suck if my whole life was just thinking about how I wish I was an artist and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do? Wouldn't that be terrible? I, I saw the mouth of uh, that abyss and I I finally knew enough to turn the other way. But oh, that's I, great. But I, That's I mean, great. 24? Yeah, it's not, great. it's not bad. Yay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's right. Well, I, I feel like, you know, my life, although it was, I had many different, there were many different branches to my life. So the branch that I am in now that has more to do with art, I'm very grateful for and whatever has passed, passed the way it had to, Pass and as and is informing what I
1: do now yeah I was gonna say is your art even better somehow like you you said your relationship is deeper with your art now Mm -hmm. maybe it wouldn't have ever been that way had you not gone through much of your experience and I I know we we didn't talk about it at length um but you know you almost died Mm -hmm. that probably you know besides increasing like you made the decision to kind of dive into the spirituality I think and confront it head on and let the right kind of light in Mm -hmm. you know you took that choice but it also informs like as a consequence you know your relationship with art and your role as an artist and what you're doing as, as a form of expression and processing I I just think it's a hell of a journey, you know? And if you were, like, what advice would you give to your younger self if you could, you know? Well. In the context of your own humble. life. Be humble.
0: Be humble. Like, Be, be humble. Be, uh, uh, reflect on who you are. Like, really do a lot of self-reflection. Because I've done a lot of seeking to be, you know, in line with with my best self for a long time, but I wasn't looking at myself as openly or as um, with it with the open eyes like I am now. Like now, I'm. Uh, I'm understanding that I'm in a process, you know, that there's no perfection here, that this is a process. And every day, if I'm fortunate, I can see what has been given to me in this day to learn from. And that might be in my art, but it might be in my relationships. You know, it's hard to say where the learning will come. There'll be a challenge every day of some sort, that I can be thankful for and uh, and grow a little bit more every day now. And so my, I never thought like that at all when I was younger. You know, I definitely wasn't thinking that I wanted to know what my higher power wanted me to know for the day. I never thought like that at all mm. anywhere through the day. I might have listened to my. I, I had a good intuition, but it was all, all self-will. Really, it was very largely self-will. That was that I was guy. I was I was running the show. Hmm. But you know, I nearly died <clears throat> running the show.
1: Yeah, I and nearly you, died and running you very, the show. And, and there's there's a reality, I think that you know maybe part of you did die, you know. The part, yeah,
0: right, right well, one, one part of me died, you know, when I told my kids that I had eleven months to live, uh, when I saw the pain on their faces, I realized that it wasn't my it was not my choice whether it w- it was out of my hands, that my life was out of my hands hmm. that it was completely I was powerless, and I would do whatever I could to live for the people that I loved. And so that was a big change for me because I left the doctor's office thinking, well, you know, I'm 56 or something. It's been good. Uh, I guess I'm going to live another year. Oh, well. You know, I pretty much decided that I was the one making the decision in this, but that's not the way you think. That's not that's not how you get up in the morning every day. That's not uh, that's not a generous attitude. That's a that's a selfish attitude that you are the one that's deciding what's going to happen. No, I have to have my eyes open to see what's necessary and where the opportunities are, and go in those directions. Mm-hmm. The, 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 you know, the better, the more, the better. And so that's what I did during my treatment, was I was grateful for anything that came my way in terms of help. and uh, And every day I felt like that, and it didn't matter how much pain I was in, or what the prognosis was, because it wasn't about whether I lived or died, it was whether I in that day, whether I was ready and willing that day.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so then I've carried that ever since. I want to be willing and ready every day.
1: That's... And the
0: prayer and the meditation helps me to get in that frame of mind so that I can uh, stay there. I might have to revisit that in the middle of the day. hmm you know, And, and I, I I visited at night when I go to bed to make sure that I haven't um, crossed any boundaries that shouldn't have been crossed. And if I have, then to uh, recognize that and to um, make amends wherever is necessary, like right away, and then start the next day again. So I try to keep my slate clear every day.
1: Man, I would. I, I love all of that. I think that. That is, it's crazy to me that we can have the wisdom in that, you know, even in its package form from you, from your life distilled, like just the fact that I can learn from you and that our listeners can learn from your experience, because that is a profound way to live. That I feel like as an artist, you know, and my audience is mostly artist types, it's people who are very creative. There's something bigger and more important than creativity. There's something bigger than your art proclivity, and there's something more than that. And it's like, you know, living a good life that is humble and focused on gratitude, being able to be grateful in spite of your suffering is, I think the roots to much sanity, not only like, like, you know, we, we put people on a pedestal, the suffering artists, like, this is a good thing. The Kurt Cobain's of our generation, you know, the Robin Williams. And it saddens me, you know, that that's the end for some people, that the suffering is what overtakes them. And Mm -hmm. I think that what we can learn from artists such as yourself is that gratitude and a willingness to live with a good, you know, upright conscience and to be humble in the face of your gifts and challenges and suffering and all that, that is a more valuable lesson for the artist than you know, to just like so, so much else advice, you know, like so, so much else out there. Um,
0: Well, I think it opens you up to your creativity, that kind of, that kind of humbleness. It, it gives more space to, um, it's given me more space Mm -hmm. to, to draw. It's given me more space to be with other people in a, uh, fruitful way yeah it's been good
1: it helps you see it helps you see clearer and I feel like that's probably a good place to end our conversation how do you feel
0: I do I feel that too
1: okay um thank you so much for being on my podcast I I got a couple more questions for you but uh, I'm going to cut the episode first um yes this was this was a real pleasure
0: oh it was real fun thank you so much
1: Okay, and thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you found any of this valuable, please consider subscribing, recommending this to a friend, or leaving a positive review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you happen to be listening. If you watch this on my Servant YouTube channel or Facebook page, please leave a comment and share. I love to hear from my listeners and learn from them. Learn more about me at www.servant.com. That's S-R-V-E-N-T dot Thank you again for your time. Now go be creative and sane.